1: Well, Danny Bass is never short of a view and never short of a surprise. The former News Corp, Group M and Media Brands exec left the industry for what we thought was for good, to retreat to running a retreat on the Hawkesbury River north of Sydney. There's a whole story there on the calamities of floods and fires. But he returned to join Snap in Australia and New Zealand and now he's the new CEO at Dentsu Media. Dentsu Media and the broader group is not the beast it was a few years ago, but Danny has returned to media agencies and holding companies. So why is he back and what's he going to do? He's only a few days into the gig, but let's find out what we can. Welcome, Danny Bass, and here we go again. Let's ask the question that I already did in the setup, um, which is why the gig? Dentsu, obviously at a group level, has been taking a different direction, more tech and consulting, less of its traditional heartland and media is what the observations in the market would be. What is your mandate, Danny? And thanks for joining. Welcome back, I should say. Hello, Paul. I missed you. <laughs> just on that opening there, I, I never
0: said I would never be back. I just uh, um, went away for for a little while. So uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be back in the industry.
1: It's possibly a little bit of creative license from a bastard journo there, Danny. Sorry <laughs> about that.
0: Why am I back? Well, I mean, Dentsu has a clear growth strategy and the chats with Angela And the team over the last couple of weeks uh, really brought home to me how strong the new leadership team that has been put in place is. And if you look at the background of of most of those, if not all of those people from non-traditional advertising and media backgrounds, it's presented a, a really interesting opportunity for me. You know, Dentsu locally has been through quite a change over the past couple of years. And that sort of mirrored the change that's also happening globally as well. So it's it's reduced the amount of brands. It's made the messaging much more simple. It, it's focused on areas that clients not just want now, but um, with certainly one eye on the future as well, what they require. And having brands such as such as Merkle to support our media brands, Cara, Eye Prospect, and then the work that Kirsty has been doing with, with Dentsu Creative um, made it a, an incredibly attractive opportunity.
1: Well, just for the rest of us, what does and is the new Dentsu? What does it look like, Danny, from the conversations you've had? Because it is very different, and you know, I do hear the laments in the market that where you know Dentsu historically was was had a very strong media capability, and it might have it might have come back a bit. But what is the new Dentsu? Well, well I'm, I'm deaf for. So you've got to get out of jail card, really, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> that's probably stock answer for the next
0: next thirty minutes. Yeah. Um, so. I'm probably not best placed to answer that. I mean, I, I'm here to lead the, the media division. I think coming in first few days and obviously having conversations on the way in as well, I think Dentsu has assembled you know, really innovative and interesting integrated teams across the business. I would say they're looking to sort of solve client problems, create ideas, drive innovation, But also what they're doing on the people side, I think is really interesting as well. And, you know, something that has been um, a real passion point for me throughout my career and also, you know, heavily linked to Unlimited is how can we create a new style of working environment, attract different people to the industry and provide long-term careers, which may not just always be in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, but could be in Asia, Europe and, and New York and I think in the past you've called me an apologist for media agencies, something I would, I would never say I am, but I'm also a very, very strong supporter of media agencies. And I think the work that Dentsu has done in creating new career paths for people and give them an opportunity to work across the different divisions and, and businesses that we have is only a good thing to set them up for future career success.
1: Well, let's, I mean, you can't go to the group, but let's talk about Dentsu Media, which is, you know, the, we, we all have heard various ructions around what's happening with the group. There's been, been a lot of strategic redirection, if you like. Dentsu Media now, and you were competing with them when they were probably stronger in the market at media brand. When you were at media brands, you were competing with Dentsu when it was stronger then than it possibly is today, with a whole bunch of caveats around that of global remits and so forth. But what is Dentsu Media? Is Dentsu Media going to be a different looking media agency to the others or what it has been what's your vision
0: uh, well, i think i think the market's changed if you go back 5 or 6 years and what do people look to media agencies for i mean if if you look at the volume from a number of years ago that that volume certainly isn't as big as it as it once was but you know there's certainly more innovation more creativity more work done with clients in areas that even a few years ago were were way out of scope so i think you know, we are and always will be at heart a media group, or, or certainly Cara and I prospect. But we, we have developed, we'll, we'll continue to evolve to reflect certainly where we want to go, but also what we anticipate clients will expect. So um, booking media is still, you know, a fundamental ask of, of any client, um, either existing or or during a pitch. They they entrust us with probably the one of the two largest items on their PL. And that's a great responsibility that we have to um, take very, very seriously. So a lot of the conversations that are happening with clients around media spend are the same that have been happening for many, many years. And I don't envisage that changing over the coming years. However, the role of advisor, how we walk shoulder to shoulder with those clients and help them with business transformation as media continues to fragment um, the role we play in that. But I mean, you know, we'll continue to develop new products. My induction over the next couple of weeks is to um, get my head around the, uh, the products that we have here, the products that have been developed. And again, you know, working within the group to ensure that it's not just a media solution we put in front of clients, but true business transformation.
1: So will Dentsu Media look very different to sort of the, the media units that you've been involved in either run or have been at the executive level on in previous times? You know, I think of uh, media brands and Group M as, as examples, they're all rapidly reinventing themselves too. So, are you all going in the same direction, galloping in the same direction to the same point? Or do you think Dentsu Media and what you want to do with it will look different in the market?
0: Well, I'd, I'd obviously like to think we, we will stand out. We will have a different point of difference, and that point of difference will resonate with, with clients. The, the, the market will decide that. I think, as I say, that the work that's been done behind the scenes here over the past couple of years across the group to future-proof the business and, and get us in good shape for the challenges ahead. You're referring back to um, what the market was like three, four, five, six years ago. You know, outside of the last, years, last two years because of COVID, we've pretty much had 10 years of real stability, record low interest rates. You know, we've had global stability, and we've had a lot of cheap money in the economy, both here and globally. And we've seen enormous growth. The next 10 years aren't going to be like that, right? You know, all those things I've just said, the opposite is happening right now. So mm-hmm. if we aren't changing, if we aren't adapting, if we aren't seeing those uh, those headwinds that are coming through, I mean, we've all been through recessions before, but there's something I think unique about what's happening right now. And, you know, the global instability that we're seeing, the nervousness in the markets. Um, if we don't reflect that change, if, we, if we're not a partner that can help and advise clients on what the next few years might be like, then we probably don't deserve to be their media agency. So I think it's hard to compare what made an agency a few years ago in, in as much as what an agency will need to be in the coming years.
1: Okay, so I mean, look, just, I mean, the observation at the Dentsu Group level is that it is definitely taking a different direction. It's becoming more tech and consulting focused, less of its traditional heartland, perhaps and media, although there is a scale up in, in the creative capabilities at Dentsu. You know, you see that coming through with, with Kirsty and what you referred to earlier. I will leave you alone this time on on pushing that, Danny, because you know you do have that get out of jail, which is the three days. But I, I look forward to sort of seeing what how that broader Dentsu agenda filters down into the Dentsu and into the media unit, because uh, and what changes there. But look, let's leave that for a moment. Let's go to sort of the workplace and flexible working and people and culture, Danny. A Dentsu is probably has the most give and most flex on this front. Now, you historically have said, and I've, we've had conversations on these podcasts before, where you. You're a big believer in in person and the culture that can come out of being together in a, in a physical location how's that going to play how do you see that playing out with your new remit now and Dentsu is very flexible on this right I don't know how many how many days a week of your people coming in
0: I don't know exactly how we compare to everyone else but we certainly have a very very flexible approach and you know that's to treat employees as as adults and and put trust in their abilities to do the role that's required wherever that may may be so We seem to be busy in the office on on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, a bit lighter either side of that. You're right. You know, for me, I think building those relationships in the office together are incredibly important. But I think we said on a podcast, just as lockdown started, the amazing thing that's come out of it, it's changed perception on what people can do and the way businesses act in a way that pre-lockdown, none of us would ever think possible. And I think that's a phenomenal thing. You know, the the ability it's given people to work in different areas, you know, new parents, et cetera, et cetera, is is quite incredible. But that's highlighting the the short-term benefits that we've seen. And I don't think those things will ever be unwound again. And that's a good thing. What we've not seen and what we're yet to see are the long-term effects of this change in working culture. And I think that will only um, become apparent in the coming years. And that's around sort of culture. That's around, you know, how, how a business can stay together, to grow together. You know, if, if you think about my role now over the coming weeks, it's, it's to meet as many people as I can. It's to listen. It's to understand what we're doing well, areas that we might want to do better. Um, I'd much sooner have those conversations in person than over video. But it also allows me now to meet many more people much more quickly than I would have had before. But I think, you know, the main things for me about being back in the office in one way, shape or form is that sort of sense of belonging, that sort of identity to a business, which is really important. And I think certainly clients want to see that. You know, They want to know about your culture. They want to know how you attract, how you retain people. And I do believe that um, 100% remote would be very difficult to do that. I think the health and well-being of, of people is really, really important. I think businesses, particularly media agencies of the past few years, have invested an incredible amount of resource in ensuring people are looked after. And I think that's a really important thing. And um, what we saw in lockdown, particularly in areas like Melbourne that really had the harsh lockdown, is um, people's mental health really suffered. And it's hard to pick that up if you're, if you're an employer, if someone might be struggling. That's a really difficult thing to pick up if, if they're not in the office. So I think it's important that we do somehow get to see people and, and you know, pick up those um, those issues should they become apparent.
1: Would you like to see your people in the office more often? Three days, not two. I mean, is there a sort of a leaning you have? I think I've got to be very conscious of my own biases,
0: right? You know, and it sort of struck me. I was I was driving into the office yesterday, and um, there was an accident on the Anzac Parade, and um, I was stuck there for two hours, and it sort of right. struck me about the just you know the dead time that that had caused, where I could have been at home doing calls or or, or whatever. So I, I'm very aware that you know I'm going to make sure that. It's, it's not my decision, it's a group decision. But I, yeah, I would like to think two to three days is a fair ask for people, but um, we have a group decision. I'm confused
1: on this, Danny. You, you might be able to shed some light because I get mixed signals on, particularly you know those that are under 30, which I don't remember, it was a long time ago, but the 20-somethings and perhaps some of the 30-somethings, you hear mixed signals where they like the, the remote, don't let me get in the office at the same time. They uh, love being in the office and they love combining, getting together with other people there's a sort of a divergence there on, on views. Where does it land in terms of that? Or is it the three days gives them that?
0: One of the things I've always loved about this industry is it is it is a meritocracy. And, you know, the for those who work hard, smart, resilient, tough, hustle, etc., it's one of the few industries where you can still really uh, rise through the ranks and, and get a great career. That's going to be hard if you're new to the industry. Coming well, that was in. you,
1: right? Because you, you don't have any qualifications, do you?
0: Well, I have a few now, but I certainly was one of those uh, people who fell into media and then thought, right. I'll, I'll keep doing this until I work out what I want to do. And then, you know, it brought me to this country and, um, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate for everything, both this country and, and, and this industry. By me. the way,
1: when I meant you don't have any qualifications, I did mean that you left school oh, yeah, yeah, early, I mean, like, yeah, didn't do university. I think you
0: and I were the set No, no, I was, I was out at 16 yeah. to try to find my own way. And, and, and that, was, that was great, you know, and I think a lot of people sort of fought and fell into this industry like that. I was talking to someone the other day, and when we were starting in the industry, you would get a lot of grads, but not necessarily media grads, you know, from languages and history and art. And I thought, I think it was a much more diverse uh, group of thinkers in the industry back then. And one of the things we may have forgot is we need other people, but I mean, different backgrounds, different thinkers, not necessarily just the media grads, although media grads are really important. But I think working remotely, If you're new to the industry, it's very difficult to get the necessary skills and training. You know, I think about throughout my career, sat next to experienced people, be they strategists, traders, leaders, executives or whatever. And you just pick that stuff up and you can't do that from home. You just can't. So I think making sure that people who want that experience and training to be better craft experts, you've got to make sure that we create an environment in the office that's safe, and welcoming, and open. But but give people that chance to be better media professionals.
1: Right. Well, well, it's a nice segue, really, because I think you mentioned you were talking to Paul Sigalov from Yahoo, and sort of just in the you know the amount of positions that are open and ready for or people are looking for what, some crazy number you mentioned. What is that?
0: Yeah, I was at Adweek and and, and uh, Yahoo were was was sponsoring some of the. Uh, I think the grounding and career side of things. Um, we were down there, we were there with our base camp initiative as well, and he, he said sixteen hundred empty roles in digital across the industry, mm. which is it's insane. massive, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, if we don't fill those, regardless if they're working at Dentsu or one of our competitors or media owner or tech side, that will slow the growth of the industry. So we're sort of all in this together, and we've got to make sure that. Um, our uh, traditional hiring pools, they're just not strong enough anymore. So we've got to look, we've got to look elsewhere. And, and I don't think the pipeline that used to be from the UK of Brits coming here or Aussies going over there, that's not coming back anytime soon. I, I don't think Australia is, a, is as an attractive destination as it once was. So we've got to find a different way. Where do you pull from? Well, this this is where I put the unlimited hat back on.
1: Which I should say, for those that don't know, you're chairman of Unlimited, which is the servant industry charity or, or not for profit. Yeah, I mean, we work exclusively with charities that focus on disadvantaged
0: youth and, and right. believe every Australian, every young Australian, deserves a chance. You know, probably conversation from another podcast, but you know, in a country that's got so much wealth and, and resources the some of the stories about young Australians and what they go through is is absolutely shameful and and Kerry started this organization 16 years ago and obviously Chris leads it really successfully now but the one common denominator that we see regularly is if you can get young Australians in employment early a lot of the issues that then our charity partners try and try and solve and face go away and it strikes me that you know we continually try to poach each other's staff. We, we only sort of hire from similar pools, but we know there are a number of high school leavers every year, and I'm not talking about rural Australia, not too far away from where I'm sitting now, who just don't know about this industry, right? And I'm pretty sure given the right training, given the right opportunity, I'm not saying they could be perfect for every role, but we've got to be more open to getting people from different backgrounds into the industry, And I think once we do, we get a more diverse workforce. We get better thinking, wider thinking, more diverse in terms of ethnicity as well, um, different socioeconomic groups. And ultimately, that reflects the buying um, of the consumer who who we represent for our clients. So it's sort of solving a societal problem and a business problem at the same time.
1: In the short term, Danny, those 1,600 digital jobs, and that's just digital, forget all the other capabilities and, and needs that are out there for people. What happens? Sixteen hundred people is not going to get solved even in twelve months. So, depending on the economics, of course, um, there may be some suppression on, on demand there or not. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Will the economy—if the economy sort of ticks down a bit—will that jobs demand? Will that also crimp?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, we, we've got to fact check the sixteen hundred. Uh, I'm sure Paul was was right, but even if it's even if it's half that, that's still an enormous mm. amount of jobs that that need to be filled. You know, you're seeing wage inflation. At the moment, you know, you're seeing people who've been in the industry a relatively short space of time being offered considerable amounts to move. But undoubtedly, if, if those roles aren't filled, it, it will slow growth. I mean, look, let's see what next year brings. Um, and that number might might decline organically anyway. However, it's a real problem. And it's, it's one I know the MFA are looking at trying to solve. And each holding group has got their own way of trying to solve it. For me, I think if the industry can come together, and create opportunity for those who, who don't know what this industry is about, who don't understand their ads appear on TV stations and everything else. I do think that is a long-term solution. But in the short term, I think there's a lot of pain there, and um, you'll continue to see this crazy wage inflation.
1: We're going to get to your perspective on the on the market outlook shortly and, and some of the other things that are associated with that. But I have to ask, um, Berry Farm, that's your Berry retreat Hill. that you, you know, when you left, that too, Berry Hill, sorry. Berry Hill, good idea, great idea, but the climate gods almost decided otherwise in recent years. And and uh, what was your grand plan there and what's happened? We'll just dwell very quickly on this one before we move yeah, on. But you know,
0: look, a, I mean, a global pandemic and the worst floods in, in 100 years probably wasn't part of the plan, no. <laughs> but the business is, is phenomenal. I mean, the, the beauty of the place is incredible. We're very, very proud of it.
1: Did you want to go full-time? Were you planning to, to run that no, I,
0: I no. again, I you know, really fortunate to be able to spend time in such a beautiful place, doing everything that's not to do with media, learning how to um,
1: put a post build, in, the, in the dirt, build
0: and renovate, and and, and everything else, and made made a thousand mistakes along the way. But we know we you know we, we built the place as a genuine retreat, um, you know, for people to enjoy in large groups outside of the the floods and everything else. It's it's quite low touch for us. So, you know, the groups turn up and, and have a wonderful time. And we know that we've seen well, we, when we get a clear run, not lockdown, not floods, we have a very healthy uh, number of bookings. So uh,
1: the runway looks all right. Okay, the so we'll term, leave that one alone. Um, yeah,
0: we've just been unlucky. And, you know, we're a business. We'll bounce back. There's some people up there who live up there who've, who've lost everything for the third time in 12 months. So we won't complain.
1: Mm, fair point. So let's just get to it quickly to some of the other market dynamics. To go in, you've, you've dealt, for instance, with tech, media, and social platforms for a long time. On the other side, on the buy side, you jumped to Snap. I don't know a couple eighteen months ago, perhaps I am not sure how long ago it was. Um, how was Snap uh, inside versus the outside view, and how different is the operating style and culture, say, versus a media agency or a whole company and media where most of your time has been spent? Danny, what what happened at Snap? I think big tech is is a very very
0: different setup and culture to media agencies and quote unquote, traditional media owners. I can only speak about Snap. Obviously, that's my only experience. I think I was blown away by the level of care that they put into their employees. And that comes absolutely from the top and the founders. And I, th- I think it's quite interesting because obviously there's been a, a race for talent in Silicon Valley for a number of years now. It's probably mirroring where we are at the moment. So they've had to create incredible incentives to attract and retain good people. And I think with Snap, it's not just about the the financial incentives, right at the core of that business is how they look after people. And there's there's many ways that they do it, but it's real. And it comes from the founder. And I I think as much as big tech can be on the good side, um, they certainly are. And I think that comes through in the way that they run the platform as well. So I've nothing but but good things to say about the business and certainly Catherine and, and the team here as well on what they've managed to do. I think what's interesting for them as a business is, you know, they made really big decisions 10 years ago to not necessarily follow the path of others, which probably you know, in, in the long term cost them a lot of money by not putting news feeds and not creating certain algorithms to drive more traffic, et cetera. They've been pretty pure to what they've been doing um, and that's testament to their belief. I think the big thing for me, what I took away from it, is their focus on AR. And you know, they, through Evan and Bobby, the founders have sort of bet the farm on, on AR, one being the future of Snap, but also being the future that they see in their sort of commercial model and the role that AR will play with marketers and, and consumers and the users of the Snap app. So quite different Andy, from the, when you, from the metaverse.
1: So when, you, when you say Snap is a cleaner or purer, Version of some of its other media tech social platforms. What do you mean by that? You mentioned algorithms and so forth, but what do you mean?
0: Well, I think the fact that it's, you know, if you're on there, it's a very closed group that you have. It's not seeing images. As a user, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's obviously it skews young in terms of it's not as young as you think, but, you know, very impressionable stages of life where, you know, we know certain images and a, a feeling of being made to, uh, present a perfect version of yourself is proving not to be great for a lot of people. And Snap doesn't work in that way. Um, you know, it's a more true reflection. It's about being happy. It's about having fun with filters, etc. So I think they are very clear on what differentiates
1: Snap from competitors. So on that front, Danny, you know, for next year, we see a lot of pressure coming on all of the different platforms, global and local and media companies for 2023. I guess there's a huge race now for continuing or maintaining growth in 2023. How intense are you seeing, do you think, that battle will be between local media, global platforms, big media, independent media? Seems like it's going to get pretty fired up and and intense next year. Yeah,
0: um, there's no question. I, I mean, I felt it just coming back in for the first few days, the questions around what's next year going to look like. I mean, you've obviously got the run home and that's, Probably looking a little bit tight from what I can see right now, but I think more people have got their eye on 2023, 2024, and what and what that means. Um, I think from a digital perspective, Mark Zuckerberg came out firing last week at the at the old hands and was very clear on his expectation of the business and, um, and the growth he wants to see. I think locally, TikTok are coming into probably would be the third full year in the market, and they've hired. Aggressively, and um, no doubt the uh, demands to bring revenue to reflect that that investment will be, will be high as well. Then obviously all the local publishers and the uh, the amount invested in things like Bvod etc. TV still goes strong. So um, it's going to be a very very aggressive market next year. There's no question about that.
1: How are the phone calls are you're you suddenly super super popular again? I imagine. You? <laughs>
0: oh, well, I mean, th- thank you. Know obviously one of the benefits of being around for a while, you. You get to know everyone, and you build relationships all, all the time. So it's been nice to uh, reconnect with a few people, and and obviously. Also- so,
1: but what's your hunch, Danny? I know that you know you're early into the gig, and so forth. but What's your hunch for next year in terms of that battle that you're talking about between global, local platforms, media, and beyond? And you've even got you know a lot of the the technology as well, right? You have got personalization and customer experience and martech platforms that are all doing you know there's all there's budget pressures everywhere. What's your hunch on who will end up you know, looking stronger next year. Uh, you know, you mentioned Facebook before. It's been pretty good gig for a while, and that is almost not quite. It's a bit unfair, but order takers, if you like, it's been there's been plenty of demand there. They might have to fight for a bit more demand for a bit more business now than they have historically. What's your hunch on where it might land?
0: We've got to throw a retail media into that as well. True, we've seen a, a big explosion in that over the past twelve to eighteen months, and you just look at the Amazon numbers more recently in terms of how big that business is you know, they've hired aggressively in this market as well. So what was already competitive, uh, an already competitive landscape has got even more competitive. And I think the retail media space is is super interesting. And obviously with Cartology's acquisition a few weeks ago as well. So I think there's still some fundamentals. And again, this comes back to people in the office, out the office. How do uh, media owners get the opportunity to present their ideas? It's incumbent on the media agencies to ensure everyone gets that platform to present and then we digest that information collated and put forward the best opportunities for clients but again three or four days in and sitting down with the investment teams and um, I have spoken to a number of media owners you know everyone's on their game and you have to be the, the talent and um, the investment in product the cross-pollination of what once was just out of home and you know now digital out of home and, and other assets radio the advancement that the local tv markets made and then you know the global players as well so uh, it's not getting any any easier for media agencies, and it probably won't get any easier for uh, for media owners as well.
1: Yes, well, I mean that's it's a huge diplomatic answer. Well done on that, because I was trying to get a steer, but I've, I've got none. I give you, you've got three days in, so we'll, we'll let you let you away with that one. So a couple of more themes, and we'll we'll let you get back to the real job, Danny. Um, I guess one of the things that um, I'm interested, you just talked about, you know, the various platforms and media owners. I had an interesting conversation with a. A respectable and sizable independent media owner in recent days who gave an example of how frustrated he has been in trying to get access to media agencies to talk about his product to the point where he, in one particular instance, bypassed uh, media agencies in the end out of frustration and went direct to the CEO of Company X and had a had a great conversation and said, this is really interesting and you know, I want you to talk to my CMO. Let's do something. You're doing good. This notion of you know, media agencies as gatekeepers, pressured nonetheless, probably not dissimilar to journalists where you have lots of people coming at you and wanting some headspace. I hear this lament a lot. And you know, there's, media is sometimes blockers to potential innovative ideas if it's not scaled or if it's not a known quantity or the media buyer or planner doesn't really get the medium because they're not necessarily using it. All that's, you know, there's about a thousand questions wrapped up into that. But is there anything in that? Is there some valid criticism about, you know, media agencies limiting opportunity?
0: it would be impossible to put every media opportunity in front of a client. And it would be impossible to put every media owner in front of a client. And part of the role of a media agency, traditional role, is to be that filter and put that stuff through. But I I certainly acknowledge if you're a smaller niche publisher, media owner, even tech provider, um, that can be a real difficult challenge to navigate that. So I think we probably will see more media owners going direct. I mean, that's been building for a long time anyway, you know, and uh, most of the certainly tier one media owners would say, you know, they look at our clients and media, other media clients just as much as their clients as ours and, and have built relationships. But it's, I, I do acknowledge it's, it's tough. Again, we've got to provide those opportunities to make sure we get those ideas through and build those relationships, find those niche media owners, niche opportunities, and put them through to clients. I think most clients will demand that, but ultimately, we can't say yes to everyone. We can't put a, a meeting in with everyone. we just got to make sure we, we get the best ideas through and the clients
1: have ample opportunity to to assess them. I'm sure I recall some years ago, and to your defence in this instance, it was, I don't know how long ago it was, you are at Group M, and I remember that, and at one stage there, there was a scale play. Everyone was trying to reduce the supply. So I think, let me call a number and you can tell me I'm making it up, but it was something like the order was, from 700 media suppliers to 70 was what the intent was yeah. to reduce the the pressure and, and the number of uh, relationships that a media agency has. Now, that was some time ago. Do you, has your position changed on that now in terms of consolidation? It depends what you're buying and what your parameters are, right?
0: So you could reach the same amount of people with probably 10 different iterations of a media plan if the goal of that plan is to hit X amount of people a female grocery buyers or whatever it is. Now, that's a very, very simplistic way of looking at putting a plan together. So from that perspective, absolutely, if you reduce the amount of people who you dealt with, you get more efficiency, uh, better, deeper relationships, etc. Cetera, et cetera, But I think it's more nuanced than that now. The amount of media owners has only increased probably since me and you had that conversation. Certainly some have, have gone by the wayside, but they've been replaced. So I think since you and I had that conversation. What's apparent is the importance of strong relationships and making sure that all your media partners feel they get the right level of exposure to the clients, but more importantly, get to understand the strategy where those clients are heading and how that can form part of you know the response from a media owner. So one of the things that I think hasn't changed and, and needs to change, if you think about TV, do clients find out early enough in the piece when a show is being put together. You know, I've always found talking to someone like Shine or, you know, the the content creators, you get such a deeper understanding as to why those shows are being put together. I think if you can get that early in the piece, that is something clients want to understand. And that gives a much better opportunity to integrate into a network or a show. So the upfronts are obviously really, really important. But by that point, the show has been made It's been decided as to when it's going to air. I would suggest maybe now it needs to be much earlier in the piece.
1: Okay. You know, there's a lot of talk in the market um, in and around, you know, net zero and sort of what happens in the media supply chain for uh, what happens with carbon emissions and so forth. Do you have a position on that? Do you think that's imminent? Is it just a, it's something that's coming, it's a little bit further away than and say your old shop you know group m and amy buchanan talk a lot about this is it overshoot or are you heading there too Well it's here there's no question about it it's not coming it's it's here and
0: it's probably driven as much by employees as it is around clients what i would say to it though is there is quite rightly a lot of talk about it there is quite rightly a focus on where media spend is going the question is when the final plan is being put together is the ultimate decision based on net zero or based on effectiveness and results and i think that's the thing that will need to be decided over the coming years you know how important is the priority to focus on a more ethical and sustainable choice of media or will effectiveness and results always outweigh that decision
1: or uh, the collective conversation around it start pushing the entire supply chain to adjust what they do and how they operate in terms of their emissions. So take your point on it. Is there any plans for you to do anything on that or is that sort of a bit further down the track for you? So we, we have a philosophy
0: from our Japanese heritage called Sampo Yoshi and it's a Japanese philosophy looking at how we solve problems and deliver ideas through three distinct lenses and that's what's good for clients what's good for our people and what's good for society. And I think that's a really powerful statement. And that really forms an integral part of the sort of business we are today and and where we're heading in in the future as well.
1: Agent Provocateur and former CEO at Dentsu has has been fairly consistent. Uh, That's Simon Ryan and his views that holding companies and media agency networks are, uh, uh, the days are sort of limited, not in a, I guess he may be saying it in the end is nigh, but This notion of of the big holding companies and the big agency networks needing to be more agile and doing things faster, if more efficiently. There's plenty of people saying that, Danny. You're in a holding company now, again, I guess you'll defend the cause, but why?
0: Would you be surprised if Simon said anything else? (laughs) I'll leave that there. I believe we we do have a future. We have a very, very strong future. I think we have um, future-proofed ourselves as an industry over the previous couple of years. That's not to say there's challenges ahead. We work in one of the most competitive markets in the world. We probably have one of, if not the healthiest indie market in the world as well. And, and good luck to everyone in that space. It's all about uh, making the industry stronger and a good place to work. But we've never hired more people than ever before. I'm sure if you spoke to the, um, the heads of OMG or IPG or, or Group M, they would say the same. So if you look at the actual number of people we have in our organizations now, it's more than ever before. They may be doing different things, but there will always be a need for clients who need that, that scale, but also, you know, that billions of dollars of investment into technology and everything else that we spoke about earlier in the, in the chat.
1: Danny Bass, I will leave you on this one. I look forward to talking to you again in six to 12 months where you don't have as much leeway because you're only three days into the chair. So um, that'll be a fun conversation. Good luck with it, and I'm sure we will cross paths. Thanks, Danny, for joining. Thank you. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's more. Producer, Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.